Moms are great. Mother's Day is a nightmare. With the world beginning to reopen, this may be our busiest Mother's Day yet. Yelp for Restaurants is here to help you execute a flawless service. Contactless table management, reservation management, and digital waitlisting tools ensure your diners don't have to wait around in long lines in an era of social distancing. Empower your guests to add themselves to your digital waitlist before they even leave home. Provide accurate wait times and automatically notify them right before their table is ready. Let's get back to business better than ever. Listeners of this podcast get three months of free access to waitlist and $300 of free monthly advertising credits. Visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash Mother's Day to learn more. Now here we go. Knowing my why was really caring about the people most adversely impacted by the food and helping people to make better food choices through provisions of their food. That's why my first location had to be in a food desert. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. We all open restaurants with this noble goal to serve our community something they want. Zach Wallace of Local Green took a different path. He set out to serve his community something they needed. Local Green provides healthy plant-based food within the food desert that Zach calls home. Being a social entrepreneur in the restaurant industry makes for a great mission, but it also makes for a great business. Today, Zach shares how serving an unknown need creates massive impact. So let me tell you, honestly, in 2006, I was just getting the concept of getting off of junk food, fast food, things like that. I still didn't have the real information of nutrition the way I did maybe seven years later. At that time, when I lost the weight from over 300 pounds to down to, I think I was in my 240s. At that time, it was just sheer working out. I was like just going, working out crazy to a day. You know how it gets on you. Mm. And everybody had a moment in their life where they like, it's life or death. I'm going for it, you know, <laughs> and you psych yourself out and you go into gladiator mode. That's what I was in then. I hadn't really gotten into the real nutritional component, you know, where I understood carbohydrates from proteins and fats and fiber, most importantly. So that came after seeing me do it in 2006 that way, then gaining maybe 10 pounds a year, those small hidden one pound and a half a month that you gain, right? And then you look up, you're like, dang, I'm 15 pounds heavier this year. Well, I guess this is my this year weight. And then before you know it, you climb back up and you, you're at 280. And you're like, oh, snap, what just happened? And it's like, I can't do what I did before. Obviously, I'm a little older. So it's like, I can't go that hard. I'm busier. It's things like that. The logistic part of working out like that, you have to really have a lot of flexible time in your schedule. So responsibility always holds you back, stops you from being great like that. So I was looking for another way. And that's how I found and really peeled back the layers and discovered the nutrition piece aspect of it. And that just came simply with just reading and being ready to accept the knowledge. And what resources did you use to get that knowledge? Because I know that, yeah, there's a lot out there, but there's a lot of different information claiming different things. How did you sort out what was your truth? What was right for you? Well, I'm a numbers guy right? As I'm sure everyone is. And when I started seeing just RDVs and just your recommended daily values, when I started seeing that, so I'm going to tell you a story about it. 
by egg whites, okay? And this story right here is just, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's my truth. So egg whites, for the first 38 years of my life, I thought egg whites was something that just was a part of white culture. I had no idea there was any nutritional reason for a large amount of white people I saw eating egg whites or requesting <laughs> egg whites. I didn't. I honestly didn't. One day I was in San Francisco and I was at this place. It was like the light bulb was on. And I was at this brunch, brunch spot downtown. I went on Yelp, I looked at their reviews. And I was like, let me try them out. They got to be efficient. And I went there and I was standing next to this family. And it was four generations of family right in front of me. The great-grandparent, the grand, the child, and the grandchild. So I was like, wow, this is so awesome. And I'm seeing how well they look. Even the great-grand, you could tell it was like they were vibrant for their age. And the grandparent was slim, and I wasn't used to that. So we get inside, and I'm looking around. I'm just seeing egg whites on everybody's plates. And I was like, whoa, it's different from a black soul food breakfast brunch spot that you don't see nothing but yellow. Coming off of that, and I'm a color guy. I eat with my eyes. I can tell off a color and tone and the hue of a food, whether it's tasty to me, right? Or what it tastes like. So I see all these white eggs. I'm like, wow. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. Let me get the egg whites with the avocado and I want fruit. And I got some fresh, fresh juice. And I was like, I'm going to try something different. And I'm just going to do grits or something as my carb. I'm not going to do any meat. And I left it. I ate it. It was good. I was fueled. I was recharged. And I left that feeling amazing. So I felt so good. I got online and I asked Google, what's the difference between egg whites and yellow eggs? And they said, 95% of your cholesterol is found in one egg or one whole egg. And I was like, so the yolk holds the cholesterol? Is this why? And then I made the association with chronic illness with cholesterol and hypertension in my community. I made that connection, that correlation. I said, wow, when I get eggs, I get three eggs. That's my thing. So if I'm eating three eggs in an omelet, you don't know how many are in an omelet, right? And I said, if I'm eating three eggs, I'm eating triple my recommended daily value. So I can't be surprised after a lifetime of that. And that's just one meal. That's one meal, and that's only one portion of the meal. That's not including the bacon, the fried bacon that I might have had, or the sausage, and and that converts to cholesterol in your bloodstream as well. So and cholesterol clogs your arteries and makes it harder for your heart to pump blood through veins. And it just all made sense to me. And it just, that was the light bulb. And so I owe it to the egg white story. And it just made me realize, like, assume you know nothing, absolutely nothing every day and knock everything off the table and only put back the pieces that you learned <laughs> and researched. So that did it. So that source, just reading, researching, asking the right questions, following your recommended daily values, that turns to fiber. And I realized we weren't getting enough fiber per day. We're here like, oh, eat a banana. We would get information from the smartest people closest to us. And we'll take that as bond. We would not get information and know what to look for. So once I started saying recommended daily value, we should have 30 grams of fiber a day. All right, well, how do I get 30 grams of fiber a day? Let me go look at the back of these labels. Let me research which fruits have the highest fiber. Now I started to see the pears had a high fiber. All your berries, and then they even have berries that are 
more higher than others and antioxidants and you start to see all these superfoods and why they call them superfoods because they're rich and they're very high on a lot of different nutritional levels and you're like whoa let me incorporate this into my diet so to get to 30 grams of fiber i'm like man one pair is only six grams a bowl of oatmeal is only three grams so we gotta get to 30 that's a lot so i do a pear and a bowl of oatmeal well guess what it's some out here called flaxseed, some called chia seeds. And so when I started seeing that, I'm like, oh, okay, I can get two scoops of chia seeds and get an additional eight grams of fiber. Let me put that in my oatmeal. So now I got a 12 gram of fiber oatmeal and that hits me halfway to my mark. And then I can do the rest with these avocados and my sandwich, you know, so on and so forth. Then I understood that fiber couldn't be digested. It goes through your system and how much undigested meat is in our colon every year. And so on and so forth. And I just really start making the connection to all this information we gathered throughout our lifetime and just really want to find something sustainable that made sense to me that I could translate to my people, my friends, my family, my culture in, in very layman terms and not speak at them, but be with them, you know? I think that's what ultimately led to the establishment of Local Green, right? How old were you when this evolution was happening? I'm curious. I was 39. And your background was in music, right? Music, yes. Music played a big part of the excess. Of the 300 pounds, the excess that came from music, that carte blanche lifestyle, late hours. I would go to sleep after I take my kids to school. Oh, my God. Yes, that was our life. So we'd go to sleep. Just say typical day. We'll start with when I went to sleep. Get the kids to school. I brush my teeth because clearly I had some drinks the night prior. Um, <laughs> but take the kids to school, come back, go to sleep for about five, six hours, get up about three o'clock, go get something to eat, talk to whatever business, lawyers or whatever, a daytime business I needed to handle, try to get that done before five real quick. And we was at the studio at maybe 6.30, 7 maybe going to get something to eat before we go to the studio, 6.30, and starting at 8, and then we would leave the studio. We would get a vibe going, leave the studio, go to a club, somebody's party, somebody's event, something always going on, go be seen, and then come back to the studio with the whole party, and it was just like that every day, getting it done, and especially if we're hosting people. You got to think Nelly's coming in town or Sierra or whoever, Young Jeezy, all these big celebrities. So it's like, it's always a moving thing. They have a appearance to go do and they want you to come with them. And they go, we go run over there and we catch a little vibe, see some people come back and finish our work. So our real work wouldn't start to about three o'clock in the morning. So that's how you finish up. It's about 6.30, you're on your way home. You can't go to sleep yet. The kids are just waking up. So that was my life. And work, mind you, I said nothing about exercise. Nothing about balance, nothing about meditation and yoga, nothing about balance. It was that the whole time. And so from there, you get this idea for a food truck. I mean, how did that come about? Where do music and food meet and how does it evolve? The one thing I can say music did for me was it afforded me to be able to eat the best foods in the world around the world. I tell people all the time, like, I'm not a chef because we've had a little bit of exposure and success. People just lean to call me a chef or feel like I've been in your shoes where, you know, I got experience. Absolutely not. I'm a professional 
consumer. That's it. I spent a lot of money eating a lot of different cuisine. That's my strength. And I know how to read a menu. I did notice this, though, in the last 10 years of my life, in the last 10, 15 years of my life, I noticed that I could go to any restaurant when everybody else is striking out and not getting, not to say that the food is bad, but not getting what they expected, not being able to take a chance and discover the dish on the menu. That's something that I noticed in my mid-30s. Like I was like, yo, it was confidence. I could read it and they would just jump off the page. And I could already taste it before I ate it. And I was like, that's a gift. I knew it. And it got to the point where my wife, she'd be like, Zach, order for me. I'm like, I'm just going to order. Okay. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most people play it safe because they're scared to try things, right? They're scared to hear something about some reduction and all these different things and different herbs and flavors. Like the ingredients are what they are. So the food truck was just an outlet to get the food to the people and to help me decide where I wanted the brick and mortar to be, right? I knew through food truck, through music, festivals, you got to remember all the promoters that promote concerts, they have a direct connection with musicians through festivals, through parties, through outdoor activities and things like that. So I really knew that I would really shine there because you know I'm connected to the artists, I'm connected to the culture, the people here in Atlanta. I know which festivals to be a part of. So it's a big festival here called One Music Festival and House in the Park. Those are my first two festivals. And I did them and they happened around Labor Day. So I had one the week before Labor Day and one on Labor Day weekend. It's almost like I had a master class in those three days. I bet. So I got my ass kicked the first festival, the first day I had like probably 15 people on payroll. Everybody was helping out, right? Mm-hmm. And we were running out of food. I was sending people to the store. They were throwing food over the fence because we was already blocked in. I couldn't get it in <laughs> through the gate. It was crazy. We were getting cases of shrimp and frozen shrimp, mind you, over the fence and trying to keep it going. But you know, I started really breaking the numbers down. And I was like, man, so I'm going to be ready for this next one. How many transactions per hour? Because you pay $1,000 to be a vendor here. So you got to come in and perform on top of your labor and your food costs. So I started really looking at the numbers, adding different point of sales, two point of sales, added somebody up, put the Chick-fil-A model out, had somebody up there with the tickets, helping people figure out what they wanted without feeling rushed. So the customer service is smooth. They don't know that they're part of the customer journey. And man, we rocked out. So I knew the food truck would be a good way for me to get directly to the people that I wanted to impact to then start my movement while figuring out where I wanted my brick and mortar to be. Well, and it's one of the things in doing research for this interview, there are these two concepts that you throw out constantly, right? Food and community, food and community. For me personally, I've never been super passionate about food, even though I spent my life in the food industry. I've always been passionate about people, right? And food was always my vehicle. And it seems like the same is true for you in your life. Very much so. It's 100% community because when you talk about food and community, you got to remember community is the reason why we started it. The food was the thing that we had to educate about and how that impacted my community. So it's really the true fabric of my why, knowing my why was really caring about the people most, the most adversely impacted by the food and helping people to make better food choices through provisions of their food. That's why my first location had to be in a food desert. I knew if I could make it in a food desert, I could make it anywhere. And everybody kept telling me, why you don't take this to 
you know, the capitalist mentality. Why don't you take this to Buckhead? Why don't you take this to Midtown? There's a lot of foodies over there. They like food like this. I'm like, but we like it too. We just never had it. It's like, we like flavor. So that's what shaped us. That's what shaped us and that's what molded us. Working in the restaurant industry, there's always been plenty to worry about. And over the last year, cleanliness has been front and center in our minds and in the minds of our guests. Your world-class team and world-class patrons deserve world-class protection. Microband 24 Professional kills 99% of viruses and bacteria. It doesn't just sanitize and stop. It keeps killing bacteria for 24 hours, even when the surfaces in your restaurant are touched multiple times. And the EPA has approved Microband 24 Sanitizing Spray is effective at killing the virus that causes COVID-19. So you can achieve your most confident clean, touch after touch. Was there any fear there, though? I mean, to drop a plant-based menu into the middle of a food desert, I mean, like, nobody's going to look at that from the outside and be like, oh, that's going to be a banger. But you knew in your heart that it was going to be. Was there any fear there? Let me say this. The restaurant industry itself is scary. The fear I had was not so much of would people, was there, would anybody want healthy food in a food desert? That wasn't my fear. My fear was that before I could get to a point where I figured it out systems, my lack of experience would have run everybody off, like my ticket times and things like that. That's what I was most afraid of. Figuring out how to get out the weeds was my thing. So my turnout was crazy. My grand opening, I had 500 people here in a 1,600 square foot restaurant. So my turnout was crazy. I really care mostly that the menu was executed the way that I would make it for Josh when he came over to my house. So I wanted the standardization. I wanted exactly like this. I wanted my packaging right. I wanted our hot food, hot, our cold food, cold. And I just wanted it to be perfect. And the side bowls was a big thing for me. I used to eat the side bowls twice a day. So it was a big thing. And I started out with the side bowls. And regretfully, I had to take it off the menu because I didn't have a cold station for acai. So they would melt. And I was like, oh, we're making them in the kitchen. It's so hot back here. Like I had to take them off the menu until I could designate an area, undercounter freezer, blender, cold uh, storage, et cetera, et cetera. So prep table, et cetera. I was scared, but it was a healthy fear. And I knew I have this saying that it applies to any form of business, any form of entrepreneurship. You got to want to win like you want to breathe. I heard this guy, E.T. the Preacher, say that on a YouTube video. He said, that's the only key to success. If you just want to win like you want to breathe, like you want your next breath of air, you'll always find a way to win because we're going to find a way to breathe, right? So that's the attitude you got to have to make it in anything. Well, and it's working. You went from a food truck to a brick and mortar in just about a year. And even through the pandemic, you've got a ghost kitchen open. Five months. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> five months, Josh. It's five months. <laughs> <laughs> but that's incredible. I'm sure there was a ton of skepticism in the venture and you proved the model. And I'm curious about a couple of things. Operationally, healthy food costs more. It's just a fact. How were you able to make a profit while providing quality food like at an accessible price point for your market? Well, I lost my ass, to be honest, 
I did terrible with food costs. I was running 45% food costs trying to make it affordable. But I knew going into it, I was going to lose the first year. Like, regardless. So I accepted the loss. I already knew it was going to be some blood, you know? So it's like, look, I might as well just go on, let everybody get some. And I guess I looked at it. I knew help was coming, but I was just like, how much burn do I have to get the product to people, get them eating different and like making a big, getting the word of mouth out there? Because I always knew we could come back and fix it. And we did it, true to form. Like my top seller, it has gone up consistently every six months. It has gone up to where it is now, which is my salmon Philly. And my sliders, for example, I remember when I first started, my sliders might have been like $10, like it's $16 now. You know, they're bigger, they're a lot bigger, but I was able to understand how to get proper vendors, just to find ways to get my cost of goods right, my percentage right. I needed that. That was a big thing, man. It was a big thing. But I tell people all the time, it's still not the most profitable when you think about tacos and wings. When it comes to food costs, where I am profitable is I'm a social entrepreneur. So you got to understand when you're a social entrepreneur, the community is behind you. So I get to balance my P&L sheets on opportunities that I might have sub 10% food costs on and sub 10% labor costs from doing government events. Tyler Perry Studios is here. We just got booked out for that. You get a different kind of opportunity and it's not to be regulated by the same standard as your typical restaurant. And granted, since I've recosted my menu, I'm hitting under 30% of my food costs with waste and everything else. My top seller is 22% now. So I've been able to rectify that, but also where we find a lot of our profit is opportunities and funding, grants. Like I qualify for every grant available. Please believe that with my business model. So I get a lot of support, a lot of partnerships. Where I am right now, Home Depot Foundation, the Blank Foundation, Chick-fil-A Foundation, YMCA, Microsoft is coming here. And I'm in a food desert. It's crazy. So I'm next door to the HBCUs. It's three of your top eight HBCUs in the whole United States right here within a quarter of a mile from me. Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Drive. He went to high school right here at Washington High, which is maybe 100 yards from here. So I'm in a historic area that's been sketchy. It's been a food desert. Every spot sells chicken or barbecue or some form of fast food. I'm a Chick-fil-A has now come here. A Zaxby's has now come here. And we're sitting right in the middle selling healthy food. So that's why we are an oasis in the food desert. It's a beautiful thing, man. And one of the other things that I think is really cool is that you use your menu as a tool to create the bridge in people's minds between plant-based healthy food and community enrichment. Can you talk to me about how storytelling has played a role in local green? Oh, yeah. That's my other strength. Right, the storytelling piece, because the same way I would write a song or the same way I would help build a, a concept for a music video, a treatment for a music video to tell the story, I tell the story now. I tell the story through food. I tell the story through the food journey. I'm able to tap into the colors and 
everything about the vibrancy of the food. And I'm able to create a name that that food makes me want to listen to, makes me want to, it just, it's compatible, right? And so that's played a huge role in it. When you talk about my top seller, it has a name. I have stickers for it with the name on it, Rapper's Delight. That's a big time hip hop song on the foundation of all hip hop, right? But then I also wrote a song with the words Rapper's Delight for Twister. And I wrote it with Jazzy Faye, CeeLo, CeeLo Green, and Twister. And I said, you're a Trapper's Delight, you're an Actor's Delight, you're a Rapper's Delight, right? And so I made the connection through all the different entrepreneurs and I made it just worldly for everyone, right? And so I took Rapper's Delight and with the success of seeing those, I felt like this sandwich is for everybody. It's a real estate delight. Whatever you are, you know, it's a swimmer's delight, whatever you want to be. But the rapper's delight just put me there. And it's such a thing. My shrimp burger, I just called it monster. My tacos, I said they're notorious. But it was a double entendre because it's also notorious B.I.G., the late, great notorious B.I.G. But they also just notorious, the definition of it, with my smoothies. My smoothies, my drinks, all of them have to have names. So my smoothies are Cell Therapy. And Cell Therapy, which is Goody Mob's first single, but it's also, back to what I was saying, the nutritional values, right? It's high in fiber, high in protein, low in carbs, every high in antioxidants. It's therapy for your cells. And then the Kryptonite is a green smoothie with spinach, mango, kale, flax seeds, and all these good things. But it's also green, like the color. And then I also pay homage to Outkast. Uh, Big Boy from Outkast had a single called Kryptonite. So that's how... Fuse culture when needed for marketing purposes, but then also the eye test, you know, and everything else that makes sense, just the logic behind it. But then the lemonades, I have a Kingston mango pineapple. I have a Lizzo, which is strawberry mint. And I have a green Hito, which is cucumber cilantro. So, you know, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to drink it. Whatever comes to mind, I'm going to bounce it off some of my friends. Like, Josh, what you think about this, this or this? <laughs> you just know I'm back at it again. I'm like, all right, which one got the ring, Josh? Tell me. I love it. <laughs> I was reading the recent press on you, and you've got multiple locations coming down the pike, a cookbook. You're in the business of business. And I'm wondering, were there any models that you looked to in our industry and said, this is who I want to model my career after. This is who I'm going to use as my muse and my mentor and my hero in this industry. You know, it's crazy. I have not met him yet. And I know he's out there. I haven't met him yet. I guess what I'm looking at is because my whole entry is unorthodox with how I became a restaurateur, I am just using my intuition and discernment We'll pick selecting the talent that's around me and we carpool our way to success. What I don't do is defy conventional wisdom, though. So I believe if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't reinvent the wheel. I like to pull from the already existing establishment, but I'm also very open and heavy on the innovation piece. So don't tell me creatively that it's something that can't be done without looking at it first. Don't just say it. it's never been done before. For me, that's like, oh, that's a great idea. Tristan Walker said, I'm going to quote Tristan Walker. He said, usually, someone he was talking to, and he used this quote, he said, usually, good ideas are bad ideas, right? And the bad ideas are good ideas. And I was like, man, I was in church. So 
after that, I felt like I was in church, man. I was like, that's it. He gets it. So it is a lot of defiance there. It's a lot of let's reinvent it. Like I do street tacos in my restaurant and people say, why don't you have the large ones? I started out with the large ones. It's just excess flour. You know, it's just perception, the value perception. But I'm looking at the portion amount. It's the same amount in this street taco. So I'd rather you have a street taco that you can't even get all the meat in it than to have a whole bunch of excess flour with the same amount of protein in the middle. And you just eating flour. Look at the next taco you get the next time you go out and you'll see what I'm saying. I'd rather you have some falling over in your container that you can get out with a fork than to have it just wrapped in a blanket. You know what I'm saying? It's just stuff like that. I just defy every rule when it comes to that that makes sense. I'm defying those rules because now I can put these street tacos in a nine by six by three and the presentation is right and you get just the amount of flour, just the amount of protein and toppings and everything else. So I'm looking for that person. There are some people that I like what they've done. It's a restaurateur in Atlanta who has mentored me a lot. His name is Mac Wilburn, and he's a concessions restaurateur. Been around since, started out in fast foods, has the number one and number three Popeyes. There is also Daniel Halpern here. Most of the people I like how they're moving, they typically have airport concessions. I'm getting to that point now where I'm meeting and attracting a lot more restaurateurs who really, they like that different juice. Chef G. Garvin is another big inspiration for me. But again, he gives me advice that as I seek it, he'll give it to me. He always starts with, you might not like what I'm about to tell you, but I will wait on that or I will this. And he tells me in his own way. But again, he's a trained chef. He's always wanted to be a chef. And it's work for him. That's not my story. So I can't emulate. I haven't seen my reflection in anyone else yet. Nothing's new under the sun. I just haven't met him yet. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you would like to offer? I would tell anyone that is putting their entire life on the line to treat it as such seek counsel and don't take advice personally. Just know that you're stepping into a business and an industry that is going to consume you. Make sure your family is on board. If your family is not on board, make sure that you prepare yourself for the loss of following your dream. Because if you do this, it requires and demand 1,000%. Anything that's left of you after the 1,000%, it's going to call and knock on your door too. Also, take your time before you open your doors to hire a consultant to bring in, to know the right questions to ask, to get the main pieces of your operation. The fundamental pieces, make sure you understand that fully before you go opening your doors with your brilliant concept. It could be brilliant, but the business has to be right. Know your business, right? Find your purveyors. If you have the option and you're not crazy like me, and you had an option to take a year to actually develop it, please do so. So that when you step out there day one, your team is ready. You're ready to go. You have your operations team. You have somebody for admin. You have somebody responding to the emails. You're not just in the kitchen at the front register, cleaning up, expected to take meetings with accounts. You got to have a team to pull this off. 
it's going to get bigger until you show your community that you can't handle it. And then people will say, uh, let me give them a minute. I can't trust them with the 30 minutes I have to eat. I come when I don't have nothing better to do. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be that local community spot that we just go support. And I got two hours. I don't got nothing bored out of my mind. And it's the last thing I could think of. Right. You don't want to be that spot. So come into it ready. Get your food costs down. Get your labor model down. Get your equipment package down. You're going to need cold storage. You're going to need cold storage. You're going to need cold storage. <laughs> so, like, and that takes up space. Anybody that's paid for it and been through it knows what I'm talking about. You got to be ready and you got to be ready for increase and pretty much just be prepared. Be prepared. But don't be scared either. Don't let all that information scare you. Just let it prepare you for what's to come. That's Zach Wallace. For more on Local Green, go to localgreenatlanta.com. And be sure to follow Zach on Instagram using the handle BigZachWallace. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.